Look up idiots in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genre thus consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month I'm exploring the films of Terrence Malick, as recommended by Andrew DeSelm, and in this week's episode I'll be wrapping up Terrence Malick month with his 2011 film, The Tree of Life. Um, first and foremost, I want to say I hope uh, all of, any of my listeners who are in the direct path of the polar vortex are keeping warm. I myself have never been so happy to come home to uh, pre-war radiator heat, which is um, loud and hissing and clanking. But by God, it is uh, quite toasty in my apartment. As I record this, it is currently 12 degrees outside, and that is without wind chill, and will, of course, be getting colder tomorrow. So if I do have any listeners who are in the Chicago, Minnesota, Minneapolis area, Fargo, maybe, um, I do hope that you are keeping warm, and I do hope that you are not venturing outside at all unless absolutely necessary. As much as I am a fan of winter, it is completely miserable out there. Um, but on to the business of um, wrapping up Terrence Malick month with the Tree of Life. Um, if you have forgotten, this is the Bible verse uh, which opens up uh, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now that is, uh, uh, that is from the book of Job, Job 38, uh, 4 and 7, not 4 through 7, but verses 4 and 7. Um, and if I have any listeners out there who are um, not of the Christian or Jewish faith, um, that comes from, as I said, the book of Job. And Job is a, a quite an interesting Old Testament book. I, I'm, I'm going to, I guess, provide some context just so you can kind of understand my appreciation of this film, basically. So bear with me for a minute as we kind of step back into uh, Sunday school for a little bit. Job is quite an interesting book because it's basically, if you're not familiar with it, um, there's this guy named Job, obviously, um, he is uh, quite wealthy and prosperous. He has a lot of family, a lot of land, a lot of wealth, a lot of animals. Um, and tragedy after tragedy just keeps befalling him. Um, family members die. Um, his uh, cattle dies. His crop dies. He gets afflicted by these um, you know, horrific physical ailments. And, and all the time he just kind of keeps crying out to God, you know, why, why is this happening to me? Um, not in a, necessarily a mournful sense, but just in the sense of like, I have been faithful, you know, please, you know, show some mercy on me. And, and uh, a lot of his friends are kind of trying to convince him that, well, you must have done something wrong. God has, is punishing you clearly. So you have to have done something wrong. And Job keeps pushing back and saying, no, I've been faithful. I've, I've been a good person. Um, and yet everyone kind of insists that, no, you must have done something wrong because God is taking away things from you, your health, your family, your wealth, all that kind of stuff. And Job just kind of continuously maintains his innocence, basically, um, until at the very end uh, of the book he is, it would be glib for me to say he is rewarded for his uh, his steadfastness and his faithfulness, but eventually, you know, he everything returns to him. He, you know, the crops come back, the cattle come back, um, uh, his wealth comes back, he marries and has new family and all this sort of stuff. And so, um, it, it's a, as, a, as a kid, it, it's a, a, a quite a simplistic explanation, which uh, I've been 
uh, which or you you might be given by your uh, Sunday school teacher or your teachers or your parents about basically of uh, um, um, uh, you know how faithfulness is rewarded. Um, everyone is uh, is sinful, even when they insist they are not. Um, for all have uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and and faithfulness and repentance is going to ultimately be your your redemption. Um, it, it's not quite that simple. In fact, one of the reasons that I love the book of Job is it's probably my favorite book of the Bible is because there is no easy answer for it. And it, like a piece of art, um, the meaning of it sort of changes and evolves as sort of I have grown up and evolved. And in fact, that's one of the reasons, not one of the reasons, but um, that's one thing that from what I understand, and if I do have any um, listeners of the Jewish faith out there, please forgive me if what I'm about to say is, is misrepresenting uh, your culture and your religion. But from what I understand, part of, of, of the, the Hebrew um, tradition of uh, interpreting and engaging with the scriptures is to constantly be reevaluating it, exploring it, finding out what the meaning of it is. Um, you know, kind of the part of the part of the faith comes out of the struggle with the text of trying to debate it of of constantly reevaluating what it may mean and what the context is and what it may what adaptations or I'm sorry not adaptations what applications it may have for contemporary life and so the fact that there is no easy answers is something which is tremendously appealing to me as someone who doesn't have all the answers and will probably never have all the answers and uh, a little you know a little while ago kind of gave up I mean I say that in a, in a peaceful way kind of gave up uh, the struggle of wanting and, and feeling like I need to have all the answers. Um, and, uh, and and I find that interesting that this movie starts out with a quote, which is basically kind of, uh, I mean, the quote itself comes from God talking to Job and, and you know, and, or, and, or saying like, you know, who are you to accuse me of anything? Where were you when I created all of this, when the universe, when creation came into existence? Who were you, this small person, where were you when I did all of this? Um, now, I, I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing. It's, it certainly kind of casts the God character as a uh, indignant um, character, if you will, um, one who does not like to be questioned or challenged. But it's interesting that, that, that it's the book of Job which starts out this movie because it should basically symbolize or signal to you, as it did to me, that there are not, there's not going to be easy answers in this movie. Terrence Malick is not a filmmaker who is concerned with the easy answers. Terrence Malick is sort of um, going to give you something, and you are going to engage with it in your terms, basically. Um, and the, the sentiment of sort of this this questioning and this engaging in the struggle is is reflected even in, in the character of young of young Jack, who says. Um, in voiceover, where were you? You let a boy die. You let anything happen. Why should I be good when you aren't? It's just this question of of meaning, basically, um, of a character trying to find meaning in the world around him, um, trying to find significance in the world around him, uh, significance and meaning in this creation uh, that he finds himself in. And this is something that I, I've gone back to um, multiple times in this podcast, talking about Badlands, talking about the Thin Red Line, this idea of characters bringing something to a situation or finding themselves in a situation and trying to find meaning in it, significance of not just the event, but the larger world around him, whether that be the war in the Thin Red Line or the, you know, 
um, the the uh, the land of South Dakota uh, in Badlands, and and trying to find significance in these actions, in the actions of killing other um, other combatants, of of killing other people, of romantic relationships. There's this, this, all this these themes, these recurring themes of people trying to bring something into a situation that they don't understand in order to find meaning and significance for why they're there. Um, there is the search for answers, basically. Um, and to me, the film's most interesting moments, um, in the film, when I, obviously, I mean the Thin Red Line, the most interesting and the most beautiful moments are those moments that specifically address this engagement, this conflict, uh, basically. Um, so, uh, this, you could say, a, a dichotomy or a duality, basically. Um, I mentioned last week in the Thin Red Line episode that um, the SAS who wrote the, the Criterion essay for The Thin Red Line does paint it as Malick engaging with these ideas of, the, of these dualities, basically. And, and while I didn't agree with that, I, I do much more agree with that approach in this film. Um, there, the, the moments that, that, most specific moments that stood out to me as, as the most beautiful and, and the ones that sort of seem to hint at this contrast or this or, or this this struggle basically are the ones um in the very early on in the film after after we have established who this family is and that they've lost some uh somebody and then we go into basically the the sequence which is the creation of the universe which is the creation of life which is the beginning of everything we see nebulas forming and we see planets and we see Eventually, um, mitochondrial life, and then uh, you know, mammals, dinosaurs, um, creation evolving quite literally and also quite figuratively, um, and in the amongst of these grandiose things of a sun burning, of a of a nebula being formed, of um, stardust in the vast expanseness of infinity, we have intimate voiceover from. Mrs. O'Brien's uh, character, played by Jessica Chastain, that is, um, whether she's praying or whether she's just musing internally or whether she's talking to someone, we we have her talking about these small, intimate moments with her family, with her sons, with her husband, with the people that she's around. These these small, intimate, personal moments are set against the quite literal backdrop of the grandiose spectacle of creation um it's it's trying to find meaning basically in larger systems is, is how i or what i took away from it basically and, and it's such a wonderful sharp contrast um i can understand how some people could be frustrated that i found it quite beautiful this idea of once again here are large systems in play that we might never understand, that we certainly weren't present for at the outset, that we uh, that will long outlast us, um, and yet we are here amongst them, trying to find meaning and significance in our life for them. Um, in a, in a, uh, a more specific personal setting, you kind of we see that in the um, the dichotomy of the parenting styles of how um, Mr. O'Brien is a a more conservative kind of old school uh, rules with an iron fist, you know, the kind of guy who will punish his kids, who will yell at his kids, who insists that his kids call him sir. 
um, who uh, strict um, enforcement and towing of the line of, 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 of rules, of the law, basically. And then you have Mrs. O'Brien, um, who is much more kind of ethereal, free-flowing, um, more prone to show love and, and grace and forgiveness and um, a, a passive voice than more uh, or um, than this commanding father character played by um, played by Brad Pitt um, and on a a larger uh, more grandiose maybe more intangible uh, sense you 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 kind of see that in how when these uh, moments of creation are being presented, also what is accompanying them is is orchestration, quite wonderful, beautiful, classical music orchestrations. Not just during the creation scenes, but certainly in those are the ones that they were the most noticeable and, and, and resonant with me. Um, you have the dichotomy, uh, uh, but a, 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 a beautiful blending one, whereas the parenting styles are sort of contrasting with each other. Um, there is a, a dichotomy... Maybe dichotomy is the wrong word, but sort of an understanding of the blending of two different elements to make something beautiful in the orchestrations. I mean, it's weird for me to say that, but if you think about it, you, you kind of have um, uh, you have classical music, which can seem so artistic and not rigid and not adhering to something like a law or like a rule. You know, it, it, it flows and it sounds beautiful and you have different instruments working in harmony together. Where is the contrast in that? But it's, but it is, it, you know, there are all these instruments working together, but you also have to keep in mind that music, especially sheet music, there's a meter, there's a pattern, there is something which is kind of a spine around which the music is sort of creating flesh, basically. Um, so once again, you see these two things sort of working together that are, are, are making something quite beautiful. Um... And and in in this dichotomy, and specifically in these instances of of these uh, parenting styles and these um, forces or the influences in, in in the formative years of whether it be a person or whether it be creation, can also sort of hint at or or, or kind of help explain why we see the scenes in the movie that we see because there's. I, I wouldn't say that there is no narrative in, in the tree of life whatsoever, but there seems to be no no real plot per se, no forward momentum like the Thin Red Line certainly had or Badlands certainly had. Um, and and so you, you, I found myself kind of wondering partway through the movie, like why why are these the specific scenes that we're seeing? Why is it? Uh, why are we seeing a, a fight at the dinner table? Or um, the the father disappearing for a long period of time, or a bunch of kids throwing rocks through a, a window and then um, tying a, a frog to a, a bottle rocket and then launching it. Why are we seeing these scenes specifically? Um, but then I, the more I started thinking about it, the more I sort of came to a conclusion that I kind of made peace with, um, based on a few um, also background or, or, or key contextual things, which is. Um, that, you know, uh, Lubeski, Emmanuel Lubeski, who shot the film, had said that uh, there was enough of a film, uh, or, or with all the scenes that were cut of Sean Penn's character, could have made a movie on its own out of that. Um, and Penn, uh, in turn, said, uh, I, didn't, I didn't at all find on the screen the emotion of the script, which is the most magnificent one that I've ever read. Um, 
Oh, I'm sorry. Now that I'm looking at my notes, I realize I should have stepped back um, when I'm thinking uh, or when I was talking about um, the the dichotomy that I was that I was mentioning during uh, the the creation scenes and also specifically when the parenting styles. This is a, a quote that that stood out to me that I had to look up, but it was one that really I, I put a pin in when I was watching. And it's it's Mrs. O'Brien talking. Um, I believe it's during the creation scenes, but it's through voiceover. It's not a, a dialogue scene, and she says. The nuns taught us there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself. It accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked. It accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too. It likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it, when love is smiling through all things. They taught us that no one who loves the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. I will be true to you, whatever comes. And while I think explicitly that sort of helps explain or um, not even explain, but certainly uh, signifies the, the the different approaches towards life that these uh, the parents, Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien, have, but it also can point towards a larger philosophy that people will use to try and once again make meaning of the world that they are finding themselves in um brad pitt's character mr brian has a very very specific philosophy um work hard adhere to laws be respectful um of authority of your elders um there's a specific quote which i'm forgetting but he's talking about he's talking to his son about um, a composer who was uh, composing a piece of music and said he did it something like 87 times and you know what he said after the end of it it could be better and this idea of working hard of, of persevering of being of, of never being satisfied with where you are and, and adhering to a, a a specific path of, of forward progression and staying within the lines, and then um, the, which is very much the the he is the representative of nature, and then the representative of grace is Mrs. O'Brien of being more loose with it, of being accepting of people of who they are because of their flaws, rather than trying to correct her son, rather than trying to punish her son. She just wants to show love to her son. She wants to show that because of his flaws, he is still accepted and loved by her. So I apologize that I I. I glossed over that and now I'm coming back to it. So let's get back to what I was talking about in regards to um, how these things can um, help to find some semblance of, of meaning or significance as to why there are specific scenes in the Tree of Life that don't uphold a, a forward momentum or a narrative, but more just sort of um, tonal, basically. So, as I said, um, Emmanuel Lubeski has said that uh, of the of the scenes that were cut with just Sean Penn's character, they could have made an entire movie. Um, and Sean Penn um, had said that the script he read was quite beautiful and wonderful, and yet what he saw was not the script that he read. So it's kind of when you have those sort of things, it's like, okay, well, knowing all this, like, why why is this the film that we settled upon? Why is this the one that Terrence Malick said this is the film I want to see? Um, but I'm going to quote Lubezki again, because in his words, he says, the film is meant to trigger, um, oh, I can't read my own handwriting here, um, sorry, meant to trigger tons of memories, like a scent or a perfume, it was the word tons that was holding me up, I apologize, um, and that, and that, that kind of keyed me into, um, these scenes which are included in the movie, that's why they're significant, not because there's necessarily 
a larger meaning to them. But by all means, if you're watching this movie and you say that there, there is a, a certain specific larger inherent meaning to every single one of them, by all means, that's wonderful for you. But I didn't see these scenes as being included because they're significant, but they are significant because they're included. And let me explain that because I realize it doesn't make sense. And actually, after I said it, I sort of thought that that absolutely doesn't make sense at all. But think about memory. As Lubezki said, um, this film is meant to evoke just tons of memories. Um, and there's really not a whole lot uh, of rhyme or reason to why you hold on to specific memories. There are some that I'll say which will immediately kind of clue in uh, to being landmarks, basically. Um, you might even see these ones as you're living them. Um, the death of a family member, moving off to college, getting a new job, uh, the first time that you fell in love, the first time you got broken up with. These are, are, are clear landmarks that you are going to remember as transitionary points in your life. But there's, but I'm not talking about those big moments. I'm talking about memories. I'm talking about the things that your brain has held on to over the years, even though they don't seem to be significant. But there's an inherent significance because for some reason your brain latched onto them and said, this is what's going to be remembered. This is going to go into making you up. You, the complicated algorithm, this is one of the elements which is ultimately going to equal you. So it's not that it's significant because you're, you're looking back and saying, well, at this moment, at this time, this thing happened which led me to here. But because you have hung on to it, it is significant. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to give you some examples. So I have a, um, and they're going to be parental related because this movie is one that uh, focuses on two parents. Um, I'm the youngest of three boys, um, so I was the last one to get a job, and thus there were summers when I was home by myself because both parents worked and both of my older brothers worked, so I was just home by myself. And I remember specifically... Um, my mom coming home one day having um, gone to the library and rented some movies for me. And those two movies were um, White Fang, the adaptation of White Fang from 1991 with Ethan Hawke, and uh, a little movie from the late 80s that I had never heard of before and I've never heard of mentioned ever again called The Wizard of Speed and Time. Look it up. It's a real movie, I promise. Um, I don't know why my mom picked those movies. I don't know what she saw in them that thought they would appeal to me. Um, and I don't know why that specific memory of those two rented movies stand out to me. But because I remember them, it stands out to me. Just the fact that it is being hung on to makes it significant. Another one with my dad. My dad is a much older person. He just recently turned 82 years old. Um, and he has never been the most tech-savvy person in the world, and yet he had three kids, all of whom were quite interested in video games. Um, and our first video game system was the Nintendo Entertainment System, and as I'm sure you older millennials can remember, um, one of the most annoying things was putting in that cartridge, closing the lid, turning on the power button, and having that gray flashing screen. And you, what you do, you take the cartridge out, you blow in it, you put it back in, you get the gray flashing screen again, you take the cartridge out, you blow inside the Nintendo, and you put it back in, and most of the time that would work. But every now and again, that gray blinking screen would not go away. And I remember being very young and, and not and being unable to make the, bla the gray blinking screen go away, and I started crying. 
because I couldn't figure it out and I wanted to play this video game. And over comes my dad, and my dad has zero idea of what to do. He has less of an idea of what to do than his young crying son, and yet he attempts to try and fix Nintendo anyway by doing the same exact things we are doing and by eventually getting as frustrated as we are and yelling at the thing and then leaving. Now, anyone who is an armchair psychologist or therapist can listen to those two memories and say, well, here's, here's why they are important to you for your formative years, bippity-boppity-boo, but they're not as significant as that first day of college or that first time of having sex, or that first real bad breakup, or, um, you know, the first time, or, you know, when, you know, a really bad fight that you witnessed between your parents, or something like that, you know, those moments which kind of uh, your brain will regularly go back to, these two memories are ones that I have in my brain, I don't think about them every day, in fact, the memory about both of these, I hadn't thought about them in years, until I was writing these notes today, and trying to think of when we're describing memory it doesn't always in fact it often doesn't make sense and yet we hang on to them for some reason and yet the fact that we have hung on to them means that they are significant for some reason and that's what tree of life is to me it's memory it's you know is there something grand and important about all these things maybe not or at least maybe not to us but they are to this character, this character of young Jack. Certainly, the young boy dying uh, while swimming, that is something that's going to stick with him for the rest of his life. But chasing his mom around the house with, like, a lizard that he found? What, what is that? How, how does that make him up? I'm not really sure. Maybe he's not even sure, but he's hanging on to it. And those memories have, once again, gone into the equation of making him up and, and, and have led to him being who he is. And because of that, they are significant. Because they have, uh, are, are certain pieces that have, con- excuse me, that have constructed him, they are meaningful. They are significant. They have given a meaning and an importance to this existence in this large humongous, often beautiful and chaotic universe in which it can be so easy to feel like we don't matter because we are small beings. But these things, because he hangs on to them, because he has them, they are important. They are significant. The fact that he has these memories with his mom means they're important. The fact that he has these memories with his dad means that they're important. It's just the fact that there are all these scattered things which have gone into making him who he is that makes them important and and the fact that he has those things that are unique to him has made his life important and his life worth living now while i can say that and i can certainly appreciate that i can appreciate what malik's um approach is or at least i can appreciate the tree of life on the terms that I have laid out that doesn't necessarily make the tree of life a particularly engaging or entertaining film. In fact, the tree of life is the film that I was worried the thin red line would be. I was worried that uh, if you remember the episode from the thin red line, I was worried that it would be 
a quote-unquote war film like yeah there's a bunch of soldiers laying around but they're all just talking about war and they're talking about existence and here's a shot of a tree and here's a shot of a, of a bird flying through the sun but there's no actual war there's no actual story it's just esoteric existential musings and the thin red line actually had forward momentum and a narrative that i cared about and, and characters which may not have been believable at some times but certainly that i i i but I was given enough to understand them. There was, as I get, as I, I said about this thing of, of orchestration, there was a meter and there was a spine, and there were these elements that were fleshing it out and kind of making it into something. And the tree of life is there's no meter. It's just the instrumentation. It's all tone. It's all mood, and it's. There's no momentum. There's nothing moving it forward other than just you have to be on board with it for what it is. And I'm not fully. This movie is, and, and I, I should say, I'm talking about the version that I watched was the, the Tree of Life theatrical version. Um, I borrowed the Criterion Blu-ray from Andrew. It, it's, it's an absolutely gorgeous film. Um, watching it on my 55-inch uh, TV in uh, high definition is a breathtaking experience it's a beautiful film to look at but the theatrical uh, version is uh, a shade under two hours and 20 minutes which is um, a half an hour shorter than the thin red line and yet it felt longer than the thin red line because when you have that spine when you have that meter when you have that momentum moving the film forward you're with it and you're and you're kind of going along for the ride whereas the tree of life when it's just kind of the musings, when it's just the esotericness. Is that a word? I'm going to say it's a word. When it's just everything being esoteric, when it is just the musings, and I don't have the, the thing about which I'm supposed to be musing, it's just wandering to me. And I, I don't want to give off the impression that I thought The Tree of Life was a bad film or that I was bored with it from beginning to end. As I said, the beginning, the first, honestly, the first 45 minutes, I was really on board with this film. And I, and I, I loved that it was talking about these themes that I had been finding in Malick's stuff before, that it was engaging with that directly and, and that it was asking those questions. But then when it... I don't know, but then the the more I, I started spending time with the O'Brien family, I just kind of like, oh, I, I, okay, I, and this is going to sound incredibly snooty, but it's like, okay, I get it. I didn't think it needed to be two hours and 20 minutes long. Now, who am I? I'm not a filmmaker, but Badlands was 93 minutes long and was, I think, a perfect length. Um, and it also did its esoteric existential musings thing. Um, and it did it in 93 minutes. Uh, and the Tree of Life, once it once it really kind of starts getting out there, it's just it, it was it was hard for me to stay on board. Um, with a uh, with the thin red line, I thought the existential musings were sort of the the intermission breaks. Um, but with uh, but with the um, with the with Tree of Life, it's sort of um, uh, the intermission breaks are the, the, the whole thing, um, basically. Um, I, I, I sent Andrew a text after I was, the day after I was done watching it and said uh, that, you know, basically, 
the tree of life is sort of like um or you know uh dark matter basically um it, it's it's hard to identify but it's very dense um it's it's not a it's not an easy watch and certainly I, I would i would say not an entertaining watch and and i don't once again i don't say that to to disparage the film or say it's bad i i got a lot out of it that i didn't think that i would to be honest with you um, I also sent Andrew another text that said, uh, uh, as I was watching, that I, I don't think I could appreciate Terrence Malick's films the way that I do if I hadn't first gone through a deconstruction of faith. Um, and that, for me, looked like holding on to a world which very much did sort of resemble Mr. O'Brien's world and the philosophy and the approach to it in what I thought God, faith, spirituality was saying about my life and existence and I've eventually landed in a part which or, or, or a, a an approach which is much more like Mrs. O'Brien uh, graceful accepting things on its terms not being concerned with rigidity and not believing that there is a definitive way to look and approach things because once again getting back to the story of Job who am I to assume that I know the answers? Who am I to insist on and look for answers? And the fact that uh, Badlands, The Thin Red Line, The Tree of Life have been these films which have grappled with the idea of existential insignificance and yet the beauty of this finiteness that we're given, I feel like I'm much more in a place now where I can appreciate them than if I had seen these films five years ago, basically. So I don't love them. I didn't love any of these uh, films. I'm not going to go back, uh, you know, to watch any of them anytime soon. But I certainly got things out of them, and I certainly appreciated them on the terms. Not even on their own terms, but basically what I got out of them how I viewed them through my specific lens and what I believed I saw Terrence Malick doing made them significant and worthwhile for me. Um, if you are so inclined to watch it, uh, watch The Tree of Life again, as I said, I watched it on the Criterion Blu-ray. Um, it is available for rental and purchase on a plethora of options. Amazon, of course... Uh, iTunes, Fandango Now, Vudu, YouTube, the PlayStation Store. So you can get it just about anywhere. Sadly, it is not available to stream for free anywhere. Um, but if you have the means, um, then I would... Uh, well, I, I guess I should add the caveat. If you have the means and are interested in Terrence Malick's work or films like Terrence Malick, which have quite an esoteric bent and um, question without sort of specifically stating questions about mankind's significance and our place in existence, then I would recommend that you uh, pick up Tree of Life and specifically on the Criterion Blu-ray because it's wonderful. For once, I actually didn't look at the Criterion essay that uh, accompanies um, the title, but if you are so inclined, I will post that on uh, the I Do Movies Badly Facebook page so that you can take um, a look at it. But that does it for um, this episode on the Tree of Life, and that does it for January, and that does it for Terrence Malick's 
films and month, basically. So that means um, looking forward, uh, what is coming up next? And for once, I actually do have the next guest lined up. I actually had the next guest lined up for um, a couple weeks now, which is um, quite um, ambitious of me. <laughs> kind of last minute, as you may have picked up on. But yeah, um, so joining me next month is going to be Tyler Smith, who um, last time he was on I Do Movies Badly was to recommend some Orson Welles films to me. That's a great episode. Um, if you, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But Tyler Smith of Battleship Pretension of More Than One Lesson um, is going to be joining me to talk about um, the films of silent film star Harold Lloyd. Um, he had offered this to me a while back, um, and uh, e even before I think I did uh, Charlie Chaplin, or maybe it was shortly after I did Charlie Chaplin, but he had, he had offered it to me a while back, and I always uh, put it in the back of my mind, and then when I was just kind of thinking of um, who can I talk to, who haven't I talked to in a while, who would I like to talk to now that I brought the podcast back, um, and uh, significant filmmakers, and also just the fact that, once again, it's going to be February, it's going to be cold, it's going to be winter, um, so there is something subconscious in me which said, like, hey, let's do silent film uh i i don't know but um that's where i'm at uh so uh, tyler smith will be joining me next week to talk about uh the films of harold lloyd about which i am quite excited so um i hope you've enjoyed this episode on tree of life uh, i hope we've enjoyed the 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 month on the films of terrence malick um i always want to hear your feedback uh good bad or otherwise you can email me at you do movies badly at gmail.com uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nolan Fixes Teeth. Catch up on back episodes of ID Movies Badly by going to battleshippretension.com and finding ID Movies Badly in the drop down menu. That's um, also where you can engage in the comment fields if you wish, or you can find my stuff on idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. So um, thank you for listening, uh, everybody, to what may be the most pretentious month I've ever had, at least in regards to um, my musings and, and trying to step outside of, uh, of talking about a, a film, at least in just in, within the confines of its um, historical and societal context. Uh, but I, I've actually enjoyed that. I actually, um, I feel like it's good every now and again to, to get the, um, the Terrence Malick or the um, Andre Tarkovsky or the Ingmar Bergman. Um, even if I don't love that stuff, it's still... A valuable experience to me to engage with the art and, and kind of see what I get out of it. So I, I hope that you have enjoyed it, and I hope that you um, have enjoyed um, this episode. So be sure to uh, tune in next week where it's a new month and where I will be talking to Tyler Smith about the films of Harold Lloyd and where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.